Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian O'Fry, Spirits Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Cathay Smith, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Montana Blewett School of Law. We will discuss her new article, Weaponizing Copyright. So welcome back to the show, Cathay. Thank you so much, Brian. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, I love having you on. Um, you're always really interesting, and I always love your work. And this particular paper was really interesting and I think particularly timely as well because it discusses a lot of, of current events in the paper itself as kind of the subject matter for, for what you're discussing. But by way of situating listeners in what you're talking about, I wonder if you, if you could spend a little time talking about what you mean by weaponizing copyright and how you think weaponizing copyright is different from just asserting copyright? Yes. Um, yes. So, so I, so I use the term weaponizing copyright, um, generally to describe uses of copyright, oftentimes assertions of copyright, um, for, to, 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 to achieve generally what we consider non-copyright objectives, right? We know that, that copyright, we often, um, justify copyright by, allowing somebody who creates a work to exclusively monetize and exclusively use that work. Um, and if somebody else starts using it without authorization, we understand the standard story that that copyright owner will assert their copyright to stop that in order to make sure that the, the unauthorized use doesn't supplant their economic interest or the market rights to, to their work. In, in this paper, What's different than just the mere assertion of copyright, what's different with weaponizing copyright is that it involves individuals who are asserting copyright to achieve objectives that copyright law really was not created to satisfy. Um, examples are asserting copyright in order to silence speech, to um, suppress criticism, asserting copyright to punish or retaliate against someone, asserting copyright to attempt to protect dignitary rights or moral rights like interests in a work, asserting copyright to protect privacy. Right? These are different objectives that, that copyright law wasn't created to solve. Um, and yet I, we see so much of those uses throughout sort of current events and, and society now. And so that, that is what I mean by weaponizing copyrights. Okay, well, help me out here, Cathay, because I was under the impression that copyright owners were rational economic actors who are making decisions in order to maximize their expected like economic value in the works of authorship in which they own a property interest. Why would someone like that ever be asserting a copyright in these ways that you described that don't seem to have anything to do with their economic interests. And I think, I mean, there, there are a lot of reasons why um, copyright owners or individuals are using copyright to achieve these objectives. They, I think copyright makes it very easy. There are a lot of different aspects of copyright that make it really easy um, to assert to achieve objectives that, that are non-copyright objectives. 
Um, it's easy to just claim, first of all, it's easy to claim copyright in, in a lot of things, right? We know that it's just a original work of authorship fixed in a tangible medium. And so my text message to you or my email to you earlier today, Brian, um, right? It is an original work of authorship that is now fixed in a tangible medium. And so I can claim copyright to that email. And we can see that in selfies. We see that in photos. Um, and so there are a lot of lot of different different um, ways that, that that my work is protected by copyright law. And then there also it's also really easy to step on and, and technically infringe copyright as well. And so we live in this right, society where a lot of things are protected by copyright. A lot of things are copyrighted and a lot of our uses technically infringe. And there are a lot of other reasons as well. Copyright law is just set up in a way right now through judicial, extrajudicial, lack of sort of really strict First Amendment review, um, fair use being a bit, quite a bit unpredictable. Um, and so various reasons make copyright a really easy sort of weapon to wield to attempt to achieve all these different goals and objectives. Well, maybe you could, you could pick out a few of the many examples of weaponizing copyright that you you present in the paper like sort of what are some circumstances in which people have actually used copyright to achieve what you might call non-copyright ends why are they doing it and how should we feel about it so there so my paper talks about sort of five different objectives that a copyright owner might have to when they weaponize copyright and and um one of the objectives is weaponizing copyright to punish and retaliate and this is this is an example where someone is asserting copyright for the purpose of harming another or for the purpose of punishing someone and an example that i give is this uh twitch celebrity pewdiepie um which um i guess pewdiepie i don't know if you're familiar with twitch and for those of you who aren't familiar with twitch Twitch is this online streaming service where a, uh, you get to watch somebody sort of live stream playing a video game. Um, and, and PewDiePie is really famous. He's a famous Twitch celebrity and posts his videos on YouTube. Uh, but he also has in the past been known to uh, assert sort of racist, sexist, um, um, anti-Semitic remarks while he's playing his video game. Campo Santo is a game maker. And after PewDiePie asserted a, 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 a really racist and vicious word in one of the streams he was playing, Camposanto ended up asserting a copyright, like copyright striking his video. Um, not because not because PewDiePie actually asserted that term while playing Camposantos' video, but in the owner's own statement was doing it because he was angry that PewDiePie was a racist, <laughs> right? So, so using copyright to punish somebody for doing something that really was unrelated to the, the copyright interest that Campos Santos had in, in their games. Um, we see uh, copyright owners and individuals asserting copyright to erase facts and, and bury information. Copyright owners, um, for instance, have attempted to assert copyright over negative reviews of their services in order to take down the negative reviews of the services. Um, uh, I don't know if anyone's everyone's read uh, Ronan Farrell's book on, on Harvey Weinstein, 
But in his book, he even described an instance where when he was researching his New Yorker article to expose Harvey Weinstein and his long history of sexually exploiting and assaulting women in Hollywood, um, he actually received a copyright cease and desist letter from Harvey Weinstein's company and team claiming, um, you know, asserting copyright over all of the research that Ronan Farrow was doing. And, and that's right, we see that Ronan, Harvey Weinstein's not asserting copyright over Ronan Farrow's research because Weinstein or NBC is concerned that um, the, the Ronan Farrow is gonna usurp sort of the copyright interest in that work. They're trying to silence him. They don't want the information to be published in the New Yorker. They don't want this information out there. And we see a lot of different examples in different ways. Um, Dr. Drew did this, uh, asserted copyright takedown of a compilation video of all of the, the statements that he made in early on in the pandemic, um, you know, discounting the seriousness of COVID. Um, we also see Netflix um, asserting copyright to its videos. And an example is the French film Cuties that was getting a lot of bad press, asserting uh, its copyright in the video to Cuties, the film, in order to just take down negative reviews online of the film. Religious organizations have done this. Um, public figures have done this. Um, I think one of the, the example of the reason why I got started looking into this was the uh, Sharon Engel case. Um, when Sharon Engel was running against Harry Reid, Sharon Engel had originally posted a really ultra conservative website with her conservative political views. When she won the Republican nomination, um, she actually took that website down and uploaded a much more moderate website. And when Harry Reid's campaign reposted that extreme political website, she asserted her copyright, attempted to assert her copyright in her website in order to take that down. And so these are some of the instances and different cases and stories that I've been seeing where copyright owners have been asserting copyright or have been weaponizing copyright to achieve non-copyright objectives. Well, so some of the examples that you give of weaponizing copyright seem really troubling, right? Like when we see copyright owners using copyright in order to silence speech that we might think ought to be protected or might even ought to be lauded. But but you also give some examples of, of people weaponizing copyright ownership in order to achieve goals that seem more laudable, like for things like, 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 well, like you just said, like punishing racists, for example, or maybe trying to suppress speech that people shouldn't be making in the first place, like revenge porn or something like, like that. Is, is weaponizing something bad or good or could it be like a little bit of both i think that's where i really found writing this article to be fun and and interesting and because i don't necessarily think all forms of weaponizing copyright are negative um and the examples that you gave um that and, and two of the other objectives that i talk about in this article are weaponizing copyright to protect reputation and what we would call moral rights or moral rights interests in our work, as well as weaponizing copyright to protect privacy. 
Um, and a big example that I know a lot of people have talked about is uh, being able to assert copyright over um, intimate images that the copyright owner takes of themselves, right, that they send to their maybe ex-partner, ex-lover, um, that then ends up on reborn bench porn websites. And so that is a form of weaponizing copyright because it is asserting copyright for to achieve a non-copyright objective, but that's not necessarily bad, um, right? Uh, we, weaponizing copyright to potentially achieve some of these objectives, oftentimes when that may be the individual's only option to, for instance, immediately take down intimate images of themselves from online um, social media sites or online platforms, that's weaponizing copyright to achieve an objective that I think we wouldn't automatically think was a bad thing. And that I think that makes it I think that makes this really fun, but confusing in the way that 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 yes, I, when I first started writing this article, my goal was to create these categories and to be able to then comfortably say, okay, I think category one, two, three are bad and we need to somehow create legal reforms to stop them. But category four and five we should just allow. And yet the more I looked into this issue and the more I looked at these cases, I found that these objectives really overlapped in ways that make it extremely blurry and I think make it very difficult to attempt to, to, to create any sort of legal reform or create legal boundaries to, 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 to say, okay, we're going to stop these uses, but, but allow these uses. I just don't think it can be as clear as that. Well, so a lot of the uses and circumstances you describe seem like kind of speech-related problems that implicate First Amendment concerns. But that's a, you know, that's a big part of copyright doctrine. We've had that conversation before. Why doesn't kind of fair use just solve this problem? Like, why do we have to worry about this outside of the context of fair use? Why can't it do all the work for us? That's a great question, right? Why isn't fair use fixing it all? First, we know that fair use probably would be a good defense to a lot of these uses, right? A lot of these uses um, of copyrighted works could potentially be great candidates for fair use. But we also know that it's expensive to defend a copyright claim. Um, it's expensive and very time consuming, right? Including on dis discovery to attempt to, to defend fair use. Um, fair use can results is, are also rumored to, and right, there's this folklore that, that they are also very unpredictable because they can be fact specific and, and case by case. Um, as well as sometimes um, courts can potentially be sympathetic to some of these personal objectives that copyright owners are seeking to achieve, such as an objective to, to protect private information from public dissemination, and can implicitly alter the fair use analysis to achieve the goal of right, allowing a copyright owner to stop these unauthorized uses when perhaps the same facts in a less sympathetic setting would mean that the court would have ruled that, that this use was fair use. Um, and I think just also, also the the sometimes a lot of these copyright, uh, excuse me, a lot of these infringers. I'm going to call them infringers. 
that post works online don't necessarily know that they have a strong fair use defense, or even if they think they have a strong fair use defense, they're not willing to take the chance um, to go against somebody that probably is usually in a more powerful position in trying to silence their unauthorized uses. So one question I had reading reading the paper was, you know, what you think it says about the intersection of copyright and the First Amendment. I mean, we normally think that we can kind of collapse or many courts, including the Supreme Court, have sort of suggested that we can collapse First Amendment related concerns around copyright into the fair use analysis. You've suggested maybe as a practical matter that that's not always the case. Um, And I think that that's pretty clearly right because of how fair use actually works. What about from a, like a doctrinal or or theoretical perspective? I mean, do you think the kind of weaponizing that you're discussing suggests that maybe there are first amendment or speech related speech protective related concerns around the assertion of copyright that are outside the scope of what we might normally conceptualize as fair use and maybe don't really fit well within what we call fair use. I do. Um, I talk a bit about how, you know, the, the, the fact that copyrights remedies allow suppression of contact with limited fair use review, first amendment, excuse me, first amendment review in, in the article. It's, it is, I think, one of the reasons that contributes to copyright being such an easy weapon for individuals to use to su- sort of suppress speech that they, that they don't like. Um, and I do think that a lot of these instances maybe don't fall comfortably within fair use. But at the same time, um, I, I don't also, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily want to use this article to say or advance the theory that copyright needs this extra layer of First Amendment review, um, because I think that the potential extra layer of First Amendment review is actually why a lot of copyright weaponizers turn to copyright in the first place, especially those who perhaps are attempting to use copyright to protect privacy interests. We know that oftentimes these right of privacy um, claims do get a separate First Amendment review. And an example that I talk about in the paper is a case that, that, I, that I've written about in the past, but the Helvey Public Advocate of the U.S. Um, case where this um, hate group used without authorization a photograph of a same-sex engagement in order to um, campaign for and against politicians who supported same-sex marriage. And in that case, there were actually two claims. One was by the couple that featured in the photo for their invasion of privacy through this unauthorized use. And the other claim was a copyright claim by the photographer Hill against this unauthorized use. And the court in a motion to dismiss allowed Hill's copyright claim to continue, but actually dismissed the couple's right of privacy claim under a fair use argument um, because it was a matter of public concern. 
And um, and so I, I don't want to use this article to say, okay, you know, fair use, uh, excuse me, fair use is not doing the job that First Amendment needs it to do. Um, at the same time, I do want to acknowledge and admit that because of that copyright, it, it, that is one reason why copyright is a, is a weapon to, to be used in these different ways. Well, in the paper, you also discuss a number of different people who've either used or advocated the use of copyright in the kind of weaponized ways you describe for kind of pro-social goals, um, arguing that we shouldn't be concerned about it. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the sort of arguments in favor of using copyright as a tool to achieve non-copyright goals and what you think about those arguments, whether you find them compelling or not. I do find those arguments compelling, but in my paper, I do talk a little bit about some of the concerns with the, the embrace of sort of copyright to be used pretty freely or openly for non-copyright purposes. Um, some of the, the reasons why I, am, I do embrace some of the arguments is that, first of all, there are legitimate interests that other areas of law just are not protecting. Um, and so oftentimes, individuals have to turn to copyright in order to protect legitimate interests, such as privacy interests, and sometimes reputational, as well as some of these dignitary interests in, in works that perhaps weren't previously published. Um, so I, I, I completely understand not wanting to cut off the current only avenue for individuals to protect these legitimate interests. Um, I also agree that copyright law loses some of its meanings if a copyright owner like Matt Fury, who created Pepe the Frog, um, isn't even able to control or prevent the most you know, derogatory or debasing uses of their, their copyrighted works, these demeaning uses of their copyrighted works. And so I, I think I find those arguments compelling in that copyright does allow individuals to a limited amount of control and control these legitimate interests. But at the same time, one of the concerns that I have is the, this overlap that I, that I talk about in the article. Let me give a case as an example. There's a case that I talk about in the paper that is um, Slade Neighbors. He's in a, a successful attorney, I believe out in California. Um, and he um, and his partner were in a, a purportedly abusive relationship. And after that relationship ended, his partner wrote a blog about domestic violence um, and included a lot of resources for, for victims of domestic violence. And within that blog also talked a bit about her own experience in what she described as an abusive relationship. And within that, she posted photographs of herself with a bruised face, as well as screen captures of some of the text messages or emails that her, that her ex-partner sent to her, um, which she, she called, uh, you know, being both emotionally as well as physically abusive. And so Slade Neighbors asserts copyright to get the blog taken down as well as sues his ex-partner for copyright infringement and something to seek a permanent injunction so that she'll never share those emails or, or text messages again. Um, and so when we read that case, we see a, a potential abuser attempting to silence his ex-partner so that 
he, he can save his reputation and so that he can erase these troubling facts about himself from, from public knowledge. But at the same time, um, these were private, intimate messages that he sent to his ex-partner with the understanding that, sh that she would be keeping these private. And so in a way, he's also asserting copyright to protect his privacy and his intimate information from public dissemination. And so the, that's where that's one example of where these objectives get blurred. And if we are open to allowing copyright to be used by individuals to protect interests such as privacy, I think we also have to acknowledge that that a ruling in that way or, 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 or a, you know, a, a framework that allows that will also allow individuals like this um, attorney to also assert copyright to potentially silence information that he doesn't want publicly disseminated. Um, and so I think that's one of the main concerns with sort of this, this, this theory of, of, you know, embracing copyright to protect multiple different interests, even though I find, do find it, find it compelling. And I don't, I'm not completely a lot stepping away from, from it. So, I mean, that I think really ties into one of the things that I found most compelling about the paper, which was how you use this kind of really wide range of examples to, at least from my perspective, illustrate the fact that there are very real social problems out there that need to be addressed in some way, right? And that people are using copyright in order to achieve those goals. And seems to me a lot of people are okay with those uses because they see the goals as legitimate and the outcomes provided by virtue of weaponizing copyright as being socially desirable. But I guess part of me wonders whether that doesn't suggest that we ought to be thinking more holistically about the problems in question, also about the people who aren't in a position to be asserting copyright in the kinds of weaponized ways you describe, and then I guess at a more meta level, whether wasn't whether the availability of this kind of quasi copyright remedy doesn't sort of diminish or at least mitigate this kind of shared sense of need to pursue a more kind of programmatic way of thinking about the problem. Yes, um, I think that any reforms to potentially discourage copyright weaponization, they ha it has to be comprehensive um, in that I don't think it can just target, it can't just be sort of punitive measures to stop these forms of copyright weaponization or to stop these, the ability to use copyright in these various different ways. Um, for instance, um, right, saying fixing the DMCA to make it harder for individuals to file takedown notices if they're not, if their objective to take it down isn't monetary. I think that would that would definitely shut down the currently one of the best avenues for individuals to take down information, intimate information from online social platforms. Um, I also do also agree that um, if we continue to, you know, uh, embrace sort of copyrights use and 
for these non-copyright objectives, we potentially also set ourselves back and and feel you know feel more comfortable with the fact that there are all these other areas of the law that really should be taking a closer taking a closer look at right like privacy law, the fact that individuals are using copyright law um, to remove revenge porn online instead of relying on privacy law is because there's a big gap in privacy law in this area. Um, if we're comfortable with individuals using copyright law, are we then going to delay necessary reforms uh, in privacy law? And that's another concern with, with the just embracing and being completely comfortable with or okay with copyright law being used in these various different ways. Well, so I wonder, Cathay, in closing, if you have any thoughts about sort of what we might do going forward, or at least what we might think about when we think about what we might do going forward. In other words, where would you like to see the conversation around this go? What I would like to see is a potential comprehensive approach to examining the problem, recognizing that there's this pervasive and increasing use of copyright to achieve these various different non-copyright objectives. Some of these objectives that we recognize are socially harmful. Um, and looking at why, right? Looking at why individuals are using copyright instead of relying on other areas of the law, potentially looking at the gaps in those areas of the law, and 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 having a conversation about whether those gaps are intentional, whether those gaps are good, or if there are reforms that we can make to fill some of those gaps so that individuals aren't relying on copyright, right, to fill the gaps in privacy law or to fill the gaps in moral rights law in the U.S. I think by looking at the gap-filling measure, we can better target reforms to stop the, the sort of knit, the bad weaponization uh, meant to silence or meant to suppress information or criticism. But I think before we look at the gaps in the law, I think it would be difficult to, to say, let's, let's, let's reform copyright to make it more difficult to weaponize. Awesome. Cathay, thanks so much for coming on to talk about this paper. I thought it was great. It was a, a really quick, fun read, uh, full of amazing and really illuminating examples. And I, I commend it to listeners because we only got a chance to talk about a few of them. Thank you very much, Brian. Thanks for having me.
chair. 